Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. This is the Blackcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Black Cast. Christian Blatt here with another all-interview show with a pair of musicians. In a moment, I'll chat with Mitch Perry from the Mitch Perry Group. He has a new song called Believe. Then, after that, I will speak with Joey Sykes, also a musician. He also has a new song called Live Through This. These are a couple of really fun conversations that uh, I think you'll all enjoy listening to. Now, some of you may have heard and seen these interviews over the past couple of weeks on the Blackcast YouTube channel, but they're making their audio debut here, right here on Blackcast 380. This, of course, wraps up our hashtag Big Blackcast Binge Week, where we've been giving you five episodes of the show. Let us know what did you think of this? Too much of a good thing, or you know, more realistically, was it too much of a kind of terrible thing, or Dominicus Saxon, Matt and Casey, can you never get enough black cast? Or was this enough? And this is like right in the sweet spot. Six in a week would be insane. Uh, in any case, uh, let us know what it is that you want. You can always do that by sending us an email at blackcast at gmail.com. That's right. Still have that email. You can email us at blackcast at gmail.com. I realize I shouldn't have said at blackcast at. But, you know, just Blackcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, at gmail.com. And, of course, tweet us at Blackcast, like the Blackcast on Facebook. And, hey, don't forget, Blackcast.com, that provides you and me with all of our collective Blackcast needs. Well, with all that out of the way, let's get to our first guest. Joining me now is Mitch Perry, who has a new album called Music Box from the Mitch Perry Group, which includes a great single called Believe. We'll talk to him about that in the album. But first of all, welcome to the show, Mitch. Great to see you. Ah, thanks uh, for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Now, it's weird because, you know, up until about a month ago, you'd see somebody, you'd say, hello, how you doing? But now everything, it's, it's almost become so earnest because it's like, it's like, oh, how are you? No, really, how are you? How are you doing? You know, we want to know how everybody is. So, uh, you know, geographically, where are you? And uh, are you doing, uh, you know, you stay, staying in? Looks very comfortable from people watching on YouTube. You have a nice couch. So, uh, very good, hey, it, all you need. It, you know, I've spent a lot of my life trying to get this couch to this level. And uh, <laughs> it's paid off. Now, um, you know, we're in Hermosa Beach and... Uh, there are a lot worse places we could uh, have to hunker down to, you know, deal. It's funny with because I'm in I'm in Burbank and I might as well be like six thousand miles from you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, I I know the feeling. <laughs> Believe me, it, it, you know I feel that way when we go to Torrance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, sort of, you know, the way that we're all living, kind of staying indoors, uh, I wanted to kind of get right into the the single Believe, but also there's a video for it, you know, that has some, you know, news footage and, and clips sort of just speaking to where we are today. And I'm going to assume, obviously, it was written and, and produced before that, but talk a little bit about the song and how you think it really speaks to the situation we're all in right now. Okay, well, the song's title is Believe, and it's self-explanatory there. Um, that chorus kind of came to me from above, and it wrote itself, 
and it was up to me to kind of tie the verses together uh, or tie the courses together with the verses. And, and, and I kind of chose an ambiguous subject, you know, so that way, uh, so the uh, listener could put themselves into the song. And it could be basically a universal message, whether, you know, you're hoping that you get a job, you know, interview you're going on, whether your team wins, you know, the Super Bowl, whatever you want to believe in, <laughs> you know, that's what it's about. Now, the song being a ballad, it wouldn't be what we would normally put out first, but because we finished mixing the album the week before uh, we got put on lockdown here, uh, we're sitting with a mixed record that we really can't do anything with. Uh, and I knew that we had the footage that you see in the uh, video from shooting our EPK. So I talked to uh, Ian Fisher, our videographer, said, hey, you know, listen to the words of believe. I mean, it's self-explanatory. It'll tell you what to do. Let's look for footage. And, you know, he, he got that uh, video that you see there together in a couple of days. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about, you know, obviously everybody's working from home, you know, yeah, I'm speaking to you in your living room, I'm here in the back of my garage, but you're still able to get so many things done, like I'm sure, oh yeah, I can put that video together. A lot of people tend to work on, the, you know, unless they're working on super top secret big budget movies, people are usually just doing it at home anyway. So, uh, you know, a lot of what we expect to see, we're still able to see. It's really just anything that's in a studio. So uh, I thought that uh, it, it, it really did speak to the times. And I also thought that the song had, you know, a really nice, great, sort of, you know, very uplifting vibe, which is great for right now, because I don't know about you, but I, I want things that either make me feel good or I don't have to really think too much about. This isn't a time for me. I don't, I don't want a song that's a super bummer. I don't want movies about the end of the world. I don't, want to, I don't care about the zombie apocalypse right now. I don't want any of that. You know, I, want to, I want to have fun. I also, you know, something that makes me feel better, you know, a song that gets stuck in your head where you're like, oh, I'm in a good mood now. You know, that's, so, that's so, what we need right now. So, so basically what you're saying is you've got, you're on a desert island, you're gonna bring Believe and Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss. You know, you don't even know me, but you're absolutely right. I would definitely bring, you know, if, if I could bring, if I could bring the Music Box album and all of Kiss Alive, that, then I'd be fine if I had those two albums. That's, that's really all that, that I need there. You are nothing if not versatile, sir. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I, and uh, so that brings us actually to Music Box. I wanted to talk about the album itself and how many different hats you wore during the process of recording it and some of the people you collaborated with on the album. Well, you know, we, we kind of, uh, you know, it, it's an album that I put together with a band. It's, it's not just a project where we use different people on tracks. I, I wanted, I wanted it to have a band vibe. I wanted the record to bring me back to what I used to feel when I was a kid and I'd put headphones on and I'd listen to an album. You know, back in those days, you'd pull out your, you know, album sleeve and you'd read that thing while you listened to the album from start to finish. Now, over the course of time, that albums shifted away from that and they became, you know, vehicles to have your two or three, you know, hopefully more big songs. And a lot of it became filler. Uh, so one of the uh, things I wanted to definitely address when uh, 
I was making this record was making sure that it was something you wanted to take 45 minutes of your day, you know, and go on a trip with. So, you know, we, to do that, we, uh, I used my band. Uh, we played all the stuff live. I mean, it's, it's not like, I know people say, okay, you go and you, the band plays the track live and you keep the drums and then you add the bass back and then you add the guitars and so on and so on. We didn't do that. Uh, we rehearsed the songs, we played them the way we would play them live. We didn't, you know, break them down to parts and, and play parts. Uh, we got a live feel. We did not use a click track. We just, it had to feel good from start to finish. Once we had that, we recorded the rest of the overdubs and the vocals and whatnot. But to do that, you know, I, I had, to have, had to have a band that really knew how to play together great. And, you know, to that end, I couldn't do better than the guys I've got uh, on this project. Tal Bergman is on drums. He was with uh, Billy Idol and Joe Bonamassa. He, he just has, my, he, he's my favorite drummer as far as feel goes. I, I'm lucky to have him on this record. And then, you know, we uh, have Dan McNay on bass. He's from Jack Russell's Great White. He spent some time in Montrose. We played together on and off for the last uh, decade. Um, we've got a myriad of great keyboard players. Uh, Ed Roth from Glenn Hughes's band, Robbie Krieger's band. Um, got Dave Schultz from the Goo Goo Dolls in Berlin. We've got JT Thomas from Bruce Hornsby. Uh, I played a bunch of B3 on it. Um, we've, you know, uh, we got Doug Pettibone, I uh, guessed it on the record. Uh, he's a slide guitar player, pedal steel player. He plays with John Mayer, Lucinda Williams, brilliant guitar player. Yeah, uh, so uh, what I like what you're saying is that, you know, the band kind of playing in the studio, you know, obviously when I was younger, that's kind of what you thought. You thought the band, you know, played the songs and then you're like, all right, we're all going to do it again. And especially now with the technology, it's like, oh yeah, well, the drummer uh, sent his tracks from, you know, Oslo and uh, he was in Austin. Uh, I, I was in Seattle, you know, and look i think that your albums can sound good in that way if you if you produce it well but i just you can always i don't know maybe you can't always tell i feel like you can often tell like you know the sound is so much better when everybody's actually playing together you know and i think i think you can feel i don't know maybe maybe the soul you know to to use that term you know i, I think you can feel a lot more you you absolutely do this is this is the thing um and one of the reasons i insisted on recording it this way and so I go, you know, everybody with Pro Tools has the ability to do everything. They can tune it up perfectly. They can put things timing wise wherever they want it, even if they can't play it that way. I mean, you can basically control everything. Uh, the one thing that you cannot do with Pro Tools is have a human button where, you know, it's the one thing that doesn't happen. And that's not about playing a certain piece this way and lining it up. It's about the interaction that happens between two human beings at once. Um, you know, and even if, even if you go back before Pro Tools and you go back to just multi-track recording, same argument can be made. You know, you, there were, you know, 
obviously different ways of recording songs, you know, and you could go for the live vibe, which you'd get with Allman Brothers records, or you could go for the studio vibe, which you'd get with Steely Dan records. I mean, each one's great, you know, but depends what you're looking for. Uh, for me, music's lacking that soul these days. Even, even some of the great stuff I hear, because there's amazing, you know, amazing ideas and all that, but people get so caught up in making it perfect that they sap the soul out of it. At least they do for me. Yeah, look, I think that, uh, you know, perfect is one thing, but, you know, the idea that it's there, like you're saying, the human interaction. And look, you do have uh, a lot of performers that have, you know, various elements when they're performing live. And, you know, I mean, look, it, it's, there's, there's, there's some exceptions where you're like, obviously sound effects you're, you're going to have on, on like a recording. Some bands, you know, maybe aren't far enough along where they can afford to tour with a, with a keyboard player and they have one song. You can see those, but then there's also like, oh yeah, all the drums, a lot of the vocals, you know, and sometimes it's older performers who maybe aren't what they used to be. But when you hear that like younger performers are doing it, it's like, what, what, you know, you're not even even trying to learn how to play you know you'll hear a lot of stories a lot of whispers about bands and when they don't do it it's great you know i mean a perfect example is uh i know that you uh I, in reading your bio you played uh, keyboards on the aerosmith classics live album and now aerosmith live bootleg is this really well known one of the greatest uh, live albums right up there with the one i mentioned earlier kiss alive but it's uh but classics live was one that i think i found first just because i was a little younger and i always really liked those songs but i'm mentioning that because that's a band that you know sometimes they are a little sloppy but you see that great interaction between joe perry and brad whitford and tom hamilton they're kind of making eye contact with like oh yeah, I messed that up. But that's kind of great when you get those yeah. moments, you know? Yeah, well, you know, part of the reason why I'm even on the Aerosmith record in the first place is because there were probably way too many of those moments <laughs> when, they, when they recorded the album. Right. And, and truth be told, they didn't record this stuff for an album. Uh, what happened was at the time uh, I was uh, in heaven and we were signed to Lever and Krebs Management, which Aerosmith had just departed from. Um, even though Aerosmith had left, they still owed Krebs and CBS two albums. Um, so Krebs went into the vault and they got out the, you know, yeah. what tapes they had, and then went back, you know, went into the studio. Paul O'Neill, who produced uh, the Heaven record, who also went on to do all the TSO stuff, he was in charge of producing uh, those live uh, tapes. And they asked me to ghost some guitars, which I just, I wouldn't do. Uh, I, yeah, well, they, they figured your last name was Perry, so you yeah. like Joe Perry. Yeah, <laughs> happened to be there, um, and, and it was convenient, but it didn't, I didn't play any of the guitars the guitars, uh, but I didn't have a problem. Throwing yeah, stuff. no, I mean, you can kind of get the sense that uh, from the timing. I'm losing you here. Oh, sorry. You can get the sense from the, the timing that that album came out that uh, I guess it would have been when they uh, went over to, you know, to Geffen and started basically that second phase of their career. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's what you get a lot of some of the, some of these like live albums, you know, I mean, look, every few years, the doors put out a new live album with Jim Morrison yeah. on it. And you're like, yeah. I, I don't know how, but uh, they find something new all the time. But so yeah. anyway, just sort of in bringing that up was this idea of sometimes sloppy is okay. 
you know, if it's done well. I, I think that especially live, this idea that everything needs to be perfect is, uh, I don't know, I think that's, that's taken a lot away from it. But, you know, here, here's the thing. I, I think what makes the, uh, what makes the moment is not it being sloppy or less than perfect. It's just, you captured a moment. There, there's no defining that it has to be perfect. You know, I, it's like, I, I go the difference between a new young band recording their songs with some out of tune guitars because they want it to sound like the Stones or something. That's not what the Stones did. <laughs> you know, the Stones were trying to play the stuff perfect. They were going for a performance, for a vibe, for a feel. And they got that vibe, they got that feel. Oh, there's some guitars out of tune. Well, what should we do about it? Well, nothing. It sounds great. That's why they leave it there. Yeah. They, they, they know the difference between that special performance and one that's in. And they don't let the uh, tunage maybe trump their decision, you know, uh, on what they use. And, and that's the magic of it. And, and to that end, I feel like a lot of producers might be afraid you know, they might have an idea of what they want to do, but you're afraid to, you know, let anybody hear anything that's not perfect now. So, you know, it's, it's a weird situation with, with all the tools that we have available at our disposal. It's really hard not to make things perfect, but, you know, if you know inside what you want it to feel like, then maybe not so much. Yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, that I was when I was reading uh, the the bio that they sent to me. Uh, obviously, we all have a lot of time on our hands these days. But uh, do you really play like four to six hours most days? I mean, I, I for the people watching on YouTube, I can see a guitar next to you, so that tells me that uh, you're always ready to go, right? Do you really do you play yeah. that much throughout the day? Yes, but you know, probably not in big. I wouldn't say four to six, I, I, you know, probably, but you could get to four hours. Yeah. Hey, um, I mean, four hours, that's, that's, that's very impressive. You know? Well, you know, I mean, basically, especially these days, we've got nothing to do. But when, when I say that, we're, we're thinking, okay, I've got a couple of gigs, eat, you know, that are weekly when I'm not out of town with sleep that I do regularly and, and you know one of those is four hours of live playing every Sunday and we play for four hours we don't we don't do a set at a time we'll go yeah, there's in not, there's there's not the uh the Grateful Dead intermission of like 90 minutes in between yeah. <laughs> no you, you get about a, a 15 minute intermission hey, that's and great 15 minutes is perfect you got to go back to the bar you got to go to the bathroom 15 minutes it, is good <laughs> exactly but you know I, I, it's it's more I, I play for the enjoyment of playing. I don't play because I think I got to practice scales or anything. In fact, I, I probably suck at scales, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I can play guitar. Uh, are you finding it's uh, just as easy to be uh, creative right now? I mean, obviously you just have, you know, you have the new album, but that doesn't mean you might not still be writing. Uh, are, is it is it easy to, you know, maybe shut out the, pressures of the outside world and all the craziness or maybe that could help but is it is it easier or harder to be creative right now? I, I was gonna say it, it you know creativity definitely comes when things are hard you know I've always said it's easy to write songs about being you know scorned by a lover or something you know or being pissed off at this and it's easy to do that because when you're pissed off you write a song about it if you're happy 
you're busy enjoying being happy. Who wants to waste time writing a song about it? Um, no, but it, it's easier uh, for me to come up with stuff when, when, because uh, it, it's an escape. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, you know, obviously a completely different, <clears throat> different kind of uh, form, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm inside all the time. I'm in this uh, little, little bunker at the back of my garage, doing a lot more shows than I, I was doing beforehand. You know, there's, yeah. uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of interviews, getting great opportunities to meet people like you. And it, it look, it's, it's fun. But yeah, more than anything, it's a distraction. People who find shows like this it's also a distraction for them so i don't know i think everybody kind of enjoys that uh getting back to the creative process uh do i was reading that ideas will come to you in the middle of the night now do you immediately jump up and do it do you write it down on a notepad or i've, I've always heard what i think is the worst advice if you don't remember it when you wake up then it wasn't worth remembering I'd like to write it down and then look in the morning and be like, oh, that wasn't worth writing down. I'd like to at least have the opportunity to decide for myself. No, it, it, you're exactly right on that. You, you have to write it down. Now, having said that, I also, I, I've gone where if I can't remember a song idea, you know, if I've been playing it for a few hours and then I can't remember it the next time I pick up the guitar, I'm not too impressed with that. You know, I think whatever you do should be memorable. I mean, you know, so there's a happy medium between the two, you know, there's a gray area between what you're saying there. Yeah, that's that's the developing new things. And, you know, you'll see a, a lot of performers will do things like, oh, we're gonna play our album from 30 years ago in its entirety. And there's usually that like one or two songs that they're like, I, I don't remember how to play that. Like, oh, I don't even <laughs> really wanna play that song, you know? So if songs that actually make it to the record are things that uh, you kind of maybe fall out of love with, the idea that ideas in your head like, Oh yeah, that was great at three in the morning, but at uh, ten in the morning, it doesn't seem yeah. as good anymore. Yeah, no, and that and that's pretty much how I, uh, you know, a lot. I I could be capable of writing a lot more songs than I actually do, but that's because I kind of let ideas disappear that way. If I don't, <laughs> sure. if I if I don't keep going, my God, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I usually kind of forget about it after a while. Well, I want to go all the way back to uh, how your career started, because when I was reading about it, it was fascinating that you got like nearly a perfect score on your SATs, but then you convinced your parents like, yeah, but I'm going to take my GED and move into this house with a band. So <laughs> I, I did not have any talents like that, but I can't imagine trying to convince my parents of that. So I wanted to hear more about that. Uh, okay. Well, first off, I got really lucky in the fact that my guidance counselor at high school was a really cool guidance counselor. I mean, he weren't, you know, this was 1977. So he was there and he had worked at Kent State during the shootings and everything. You know, he's a kind of cool dude. And uh, he liked, you know, he, he, he understood what I was doing, you know, what I liked and what I wanted to do. And my mom was having a cow about my schoolwork and he's the one who suggested letting me get my GED that I'd be able to get into college when you know, I figured it out, uh, and and he helped uh, help pave the way for me to. Uh, I was already hanging out at the band house all the time, so <laughs> really moving out of the house at sixteen, it didn't really uh, change anything. 
Um, and it was a great way to grow up because it, it, there were two bands that lived in this house and there was music going on 24 seven. We had, we had one room with a, a entire, you know, band set up in it. We could jam at any hour of the day or night there. Um, and I was really, really lucky to grow up in that situation. Yeah, yeah and, and I guess uh, opportunities obviously come out of playing music all the time. Uh, you know, some of the things that I was reading, just uh, some of the people. Now, I don't know if it means that you you played sort of the same shows or did you actually play with uh, Bon Scott and uh, Bad Company or yeah, how that, did that, that come that, up? Yeah. Okay, well, that in the summer of 79, I was playing at this club called the Tight Squeeze Club. In Florida, if you were in South Florida, say you're Steven Tyler or Joe Perry, you're recording a Criteria or you're playing a concert at the Sportatorium and you're done, you want to go out and party. Hey man, where's the rock and roll club? Sure, they would, yeah. send, they would <laughs> send you to where we played. So during the, you know, during the summer of 79, I, I mean, I got to meet the guys from ACDC. They were recording Highway to Hell. Uh, I met the guys from Sabbath, Ronnie Dio and everybody, because they were recording Heaven and Hell. Um, Aerosmith came through the club. Ted Nugent came through the club. Um, I mean, it, you know, Pat Travers. And that's how I ended up getting flown out to L.A. is uh, I became really good friends with all the guys from Travers. Pat Thrall, in particular, took a uh, liking to my playing. And he uh, recommended me to uh, Alfonso Johnson, the bass player from Weatherport in uh, Santana. And so I got flown out here in January of 1980. But it came from hanging out at that club. And like I said, it, I was, it was being in the right place at the right time. I mean, I got to jam with all those people you mentioned, Simon Kirk, Bad Company, uh, Bon Scott. Yeah, and, and we're talking about basically you getting flown out when you're like 18, 19 years old, right? I mean, that's it, so you've already packed all this stuff into to your late teens, basically, right? Yeah, no, it, I mean, yeah, it was uh, definitely trial by fire when I came out here. I hadn't even recorded myself on a cassette recorder at that moment. <laughs> and, wow. all of a, and all of a sudden, I'm in the studio with Alfonso Johnson, who, you know, I mean, Jocko Pistorius replaced him in Weather Report, so... That gives you an idea. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I, I think to uh, just read about, you know, some of the people that you've, uh, that you've played with, but also just uh, some of the bands you've toured with, there's, you know, uh, there's some that stand out, obviously some great performers like Michael Schenker, Lita Ford, David Lee Roth, Glenn Hughes, uh, Graham Nash. But uh, the one that jumps out is, is Cher. That's a great, uh, one of these things is not like the other. Look, very talented in what she does, but it's, that's a lot different than the Michael Schenker group. So how, how do you sort of build, you know, a reputation with, you know, all, all these, these rock bands and then all of a sudden something comes along that, that ends up being Cher, you know? And I mean, I guess that's not unheard of. You, you even have that to this day, you know? I guess, uh, what was it, uh, Nuno Betancourt from Extreme played for Rihanna for like 10 years, you know, so. You, you, you got Joel Hoxter from Whitesnake playing with Cher right now. Right, exactly. So it's like, look, great playing is great playing and anybody yeah. who's, who's a you know, musician, uh, I but, appreciate but, it, but yeah, go ahead. But, but here's something, you know, I, and I get what you're asking about Cher, but if you really, really break down her history and, and her career, she's got more rock and roll credibility than 
any of the guys we've talked about. I mean, she <laughs> she she was there at the beginning with you know, Phil Spector, you know, yeah. and the Ronettes and all that stuff, and Darlene Love. I mean, Darlene Love was actually singing uh, singing on uh, background on the tour that I did with her. But you know, through all that stuff, she was you know, right along the front lines of rock and roll back then. And then, you know, through the 70s, she was married to Greg Allman. So I don't know how much more rock and roll you it's, get. It's than very that. rock and roll. And I and she obviously very publicly famously dated Gene Simmons, too. So, you know, the, yeah. Yeah, but being married to, to an Allman brother is, uh, yeah, yeah, look, it's very yeah. rock and roll. And I guess that a lot of times people think about Cher. I mean, there's very, you know, there's a lot of different phases of her career. There's the Sonny yeah. and Cher. There's what you're talking about, sort of the, the Ronettes. There's sort of the late 80s, very poppy Cher. But that's a point where even a band like Heart was very poppy at that point. Yeah. You know? well, and, and, I mean, even that point, the, the band, that whole record, even our crew on that tour was a lot of Bon Jovi. Sure, yeah. You know, we... we we, so at what point did you actually play with her? Was it that like turn back time era? Was it earlier or? Okay, yeah, that's it, that's what I was figuring, yeah. It was exactly the turn back time stuff. I, you know, basically the entire two years she spent touring that, uh, it was either me or when I couldn't do it, Dave Amato from Mario Speedwagon would fill in. So you're not, but you're not in the video of her on the, uh, the, the battleship with all the sailors. So, so no. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't look for you in the background on that. No, no, I, I, I miss that day, unfortunately. <laughs> I guess those, those uh, sailors were happy to be there though. Uh, so, uh, you know, and in terms of, you know, some of the other people, I mean, you know, Glenn Hughes is somebody who stands out because it, you know, look, there's a, obviously he was very public about some of the struggles he had in his life. And there's a time where you'd think like, oh, this guy's shot, his career's over. But once he started taking care of himself, I mean, he still sounds great, you know, now that he's been doing it for, you know, 50 plus years. And you have guys like him, and we talked about Steven Tyler before, people that really are able to do it for this long. I think that, you look, you can understand players that have difficulty, especially drummers, sure, guitarists, maybe your hands hurt. But just when you have certain kinds of voices, and you can still like you can hit a Steven Tyler note, you can hit a Glenn yeah. Hughes note. It's uh, it's inhuman, and you just have oh. to wonder like, who did they make a deal with that they can still have voices like <laughs> well, that? You, you know, I'll tell you. I mean, I totally agree with your choice of singers there, and, and it is amazing what they're able to do. Um, Glenn, he, he's a freak of nature, um, and he he was every bit as phenomenal when I played with him. But unfortunately, I played with him at a time when his career wasn't, you know, doing what it should have. And, uh, you know, that, that's a drag. But let me, let me jump off of that for a second and go, one of the things I'm really lucky to have on this record that I just did is three incredible singers who are all of that caliber of singer. And that's one of the reasons I picked them is I wanted singers who were world-class good, but I wanted people who were fresh and who you didn't, you know, who you hadn't seen in 22 different projects in the last, you know, couple of decades, you know. And I, I, as far as Keith England uh, being in this band, I, I, I couldn't be luckier because I think he's got a world-class voice that holds up to any of the people we're talking about here. Uh, and I can't yeah, and I, in reading about him, he uh, he he did sing with Montrose and the Allman Brothers. Uh, what I liked reading about Keith, though, 
is that he currently performs with uh, Derek Smalls of Spinal Tap, which, uh, you know, the secret there being, of course, that's really Harry Shearer. But uh, just yeah. the fact that, you know, and, and I, what I love about the Spinal Tap guys is that they know that it's fun, but they, they can all play, you know? I mean, I've, I've been in a studio when Harry Shearer played yeah. and it's just like, yeah, I mean, it's not that they can't play, it's just no. they understand how funny it all is, you know? It's, it's funny because not only do I have a connection with the tap through uh, Keith, uh, on my instrumental record, Wire to Wire, the drummer on that record is Rick Parnell, who is the drummer from the original Spinal Tap. He's the guy who spontaneously combusted in the movie. And, it's so and, funny and that he, you say that because I was about to make a joke like, oh, I doubt he's the guy that spontaneously combusted. But then, of course, he is the guy. That's he right. is the guy. He is. You know, and not only that, I also had a band with, uh, called Bad Boys with Paul Shortino, who is uh, the Duke fame character in, in Spinal Taps. Right, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's pretty great. So, uh, that's, uh, that's Keith and talk a little bit about, uh, I, am you know, I, I've read a little bit of their bios, but you have, uh, uh, Shelly Bonet and Cara Turner are people also on this music box record we're talking about, the Mitch Perry, uh, record we're talking about, music box. Yeah, well, Shelly and Cara are both powerhouse singers. Uh, Shelly has come up through Muscle Shoals. She used to be a singer on staff there and, uh, Cara. Turner is somebody I've met locally, living here in Hermosa, and she's just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. And I had her be a part of my Sunday jam for quite a while. So it just made sense when we were cutting songs to include her singing on this record, because she's so amazing. And, uh, you know, the three of the singers all sound different from each other, but they all come from the same area stylistically. Uh, you know, we're all pretty much from the Southeast uh, United States musically and, and geographically. And, and I think that shows through on the record, especially the way they sing together. When you hear them do their stuff, it's, it's just a nice, uh, it's a real special blend. Right, and I'm sure that uh, obviously, you know, we, we've uh, often heard about the uh, best laid plans of mice and men that uh, I'm sure that uh, you were looking forward to uh, playing some of this material live. And uh, obviously we can't do that right now, but uh, you know, what, uh, you know, assuming that, you know, somewhere in the next few months, there's uh, opportunities. What, what were your plans? What are you hoping to do in terms of uh, going out in support of Music Box? Well, th that's this is a live band in spite of the incredible record that uh we were able to make uh this is a band that needs to be on stage uh i wanted i wanted the band to be something that could go out with tedeschi and trucks or could go out with the allman brothers if they were playing or black crows or you know blackberry smoke that kind of stuff the jam thing um like I said, what we do on Saturday, I mean, on Sundays, we'll, we'll play songs that will go on for 40 minutes. And it's not just jamming over the same change. We'll write two new songs in the middle of the song. I mean, the band kind of morphs together, you know, and we've all got big ears, which is what you need to do that. Um, but having said that, one of the things I tried to do when I wrote songs for this record that you have now is I wanted songs that 
people could relate to. I didn't want them to be all obscure and, and a little too esoteric for everyone to enjoy. So I wanted a song that could grab your attention and be a success just under that criteria for a song. But I'd write little rabbit holes into the song where when we're playing it live, we'll be able to go on those half an hour journeys and, and we leave it open to, you know, this is where we go to Planet Zuton for, you know, however long. And, and that way, it will give anybody a chance to come and see us at any time because no two shows will be the same. This is what we already do. And it's something we do really uh, well and, and uh, is worth seeing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the nice thing about uh, being in Southern California, there's a lot of venues. I, I know uh, I, I've been to a few shows at a nice venue, probably down the street from you called St. Rock there in Hermosa oh, yeah. Beach. That's yeah. a, that's a great spot too. And, you know, it's a, it's not, you know, sometimes you'll see like, you know, fairly, you know, bands that could play much larger places and maybe even did in another part of the state, but it's just, a, you know, you get a lot of like good rooms like that. So you guys have a, you know, obviously when things are normal, you have a standing spot somewhere on Sundays or is, does it move around at all? Yeah, no, no, it, it's, it's funnily enough, it's named the standing room. Okay. <laughs> and we do our thing every uh, Sunday from five to nine there and it's, it's off the hook. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think that rooms like that are going to unfortunately be very important because I think when things start to even approach normal, we're we're not, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to go to the, you know, the 50,000 seat stadium tours that were planned for this summer. But, you know, we can we can get to see some live music, you know, where they'll They'll probably, you know, put people, I don't know, a lot of standing room shows that I've been to, people don't get that close to you anyway. They don't, they don't really want to be all up in your business, you know? So uh, I think, I think that we'll be at a point where then, yeah, people will want to safely be able to see live music because it, it'll have been a long time, but you know, those, those bigger shows, it's too hard to predict, first of all, when we can. And then also what people are comfortable with. So I think sort of a toe in the water of, oh, that's cool. I'm going to go see this this jam, you know, for a few hours. I, I think that's right up what the alley of what people are going to want. No, I, you know, I, obviously nobody can predict what the future is going to be, but we're all sitting here trying to guesstimate what the landscape is going to be when we come out of it. And one thing that I I think I see is a lot more localization you know uh, maybe bands try i mean you know again this is going to be a hard thing to to accomplish because there aren't all the venues that there once were to do that so there's going to be limited space it's going to be a hard thing to uh to see how it plays out but you know i i think it's going to require touring locally if that makes sense you know working your region a little bit harder than we used to pay attention too. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. just from a practical standpoint, too, I think you're, you are, unfortunately, you're going to see parts of the country open a little bit more freely than others, you know, here in Southern California and New York, it's probably going to be a little bit, a little bit longer, but yeah. especially areas that you talked about, like the, the Southeast and, and, you know, the, the Midwest, I think that, you know, they're, they're a little bit more open. I think there'll be a lot of places. And I think you're right. I think a lot of bands will be like, yeah, I don't care that I had, a, you know, I had an arena tour for, for June that got blown out. I just want to play for somebody, you know? So if we play for 200 people, that'll be great. And, you know, I think people, 
I think people will definitely have to work up to that. It'll be under, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, what, what level of comfort there is on the whole. I think people will want to go out, but I feel like that first time you're at a concert, maybe even you as a performer, you just sort of look out. It's like, Oh yeah, there won't even be a lot of people maybe, but it'll feel like so many after what we've been doing, you know, these five oh, weeks and knows how many more. Oh, sorry. But it'll, it'll be like, you know, we've, we're going through this. So being in any kind of setting like that, you know, probably a couple songs in, it'll start to feel normal again, but it'll probably be a little weird. Well, I mean, listen, let's not even talk about doing the shows. Let's talk about the logistics of getting to these shows. Sure. If, yeah. if, there, if there's no vaccine to the virus, you, do you want your job to encompass you having to sit on planes, you know, for five hours a day, four days a week? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, do you want to, do you want to squeeze into a bus with a, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of musicians whose hygiene might be questionable in the best of circumstances? <laughs> uh, I, my band is really clean. So oh, I don't your have, band yeah. is fine. <laughs> I, just, I just mean more general, you know, let's talk about the young bands who are starting out that are like, yeah, yeah, we got to get back on the road. We can't fly anywhere. But yeah, no, I think that, yeah, th those are all very real concerns. And I don't think people really want to, address the fact yeah. that it's like, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little while, but also you, you sort of alluded to it. Look, let's just hypothetically, all right, everything can be back to normal concert wise in October. We have everybody who was already booked in October. And then you have those bands that didn't play for like five months. They want to go on the road too. And it's like, where's everybody going to play? You know? So mm -hmm. if, if these venues can stay afloat during this, this uncertain period, I think there will be a lot of, a lot of bands looking to play but also a lot of people but you're right you have to feel like i'm going to be safe like i don't i don't want anything to happen to me because i decided to go to this concert even though it's even though it's a, at like a club that only holds 150 people you that look it yeah. just takes it takes one person oh, you know that exactly i mean that that's the thing it it could be a million people it's just the one yeah. person standing <laughs> right, exactly. next to you yeah yeah. Well, uh, I, uh, I hope that uh, before too long, you're able to perform live. And, uh, you know, before you know it, you'll be back at the uh, standing room. And uh, I uh, look forward to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm filing that away for when things are normal. I'd love to uh, check that out at some point. Uh, it's been wonderful to get to know you, Mitch. Uh, and we've been talking about the new album, Music Box, from the Mitch Perry group. Uh, the single's called Believe. You can find the video out there. And, uh, you know, look, it's, there, there's, there's a, you know, we've, I've talked to a few musicians over the, the last few weeks. There's a couple different ways to look at it. One, it's like, oh, this is a terrible time to promote an album, or it's an amazing time to promote an album because people are looking to listen to something. They love to hear something new. You know, you want to listen to the classics, but uh, I, I think it, it can actually be a good time. And look, you know, you find a lot of bands are doing performances from their living room or, you know, I, I've even seen bands that are positioned throughout a room and they're all like six feet apart, you know? So yeah. there's a lot of ways that you can actually do that. So uh, I, I think this is a great time to have a, an album come, ha come out. And uh, I hope there's tremendous success at this time. And then also when you can get out there traditionally and really uh, tour to promote it. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, I, I tend to agree with your second, uh, second view of what's going on. I mean, this is an absolute great time to get out there. Uh, and you've got a captive audience on the internet now, and uh, you know it's it's a great time to let them see all the tracks. So uh, we, we will be doing that slowly but surely over the next couple of months, and hopefully by the time things start to open up, uh, we'll be ready to take advantage of that. 
Yeah, and obviously, I mean, people, I'm sure they can just look up uh, Mitch Perry. They can uh, find uh, the album. Is there sort of a go-to spot for uh, where, you know, like a, a website, uh, that sort of thing? Or Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we have MitchPerry.com, of course. That's a website. And that will take you to, you know, iTunes or Amazon, wherever you want to yeah. go uh, pick up the uh, album. Um, we'll also eventually have hard copies of the album for sale yeah. whether you want cds or vinyl yeah um we would also love everyone to go to our youtube and please subscribe you know that's a mitch perry group um and uh you know yeah uh, i think that's everything yeah no i mean it was it, it's great because i was able to listen to the album electronically because it got sent to me but like you were talking about before you know i'm a i'm a, I'm a little bit younger i grew up in the age of cds but i did love to flip through the lyrics and read all of it and i do I, the thing i love about people getting back into vinyl is that the artwork is always so great you know you can you can argue about the technology of playing a record but uh you know the idea of actually having you know this project you're talking about spending 45 minutes and looking through it one day to be able yeah. to do that'll be great but it's great that in the immediacy yeah you can just go and get it and uh, just mitchperry.com that's great so many people's website are so complicated you just have mitchperry.com that's perfect yeah yeah well like i said mitch uh it's been uh, wonderful to get the chance to chat with you it's very nice meeting you and uh i look forward to seeing you out in public uh, before we know it likewise well thanks very much and uh look forward to seeing you uh when they let us out of uh jail <laughs> exactly thank you Joining me now is musician Joey Sykes, who has a new song called Let's Get Through This. Welcome to the show, Joey. Hey, how's it going, Christian? How you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks. Let's uh, get right into it. Let's start with the song, which I think that's a sentiment that uh, you know pretty much everybody in the audience can relate to, uh, this idea that we can and will get through this, everything that we're going on, even if uh, sometimes uh, maybe it uh, seems easier said than done, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I had this title about two years ago and uh, you know, have like recordings of all song ideas and just little clips and guitar riffs and whatever. So I just had this, every time I go through my songs, I kept, you know, going back to this, uh, let's get through this, you know, it was on the guitar and, and vocal and I never really finished the song, you know? So when all this started coming up, I'm like, you know, it was like two months ago, really started kicking in and it just kind of inspired me to uh, just knock it out, you know, and make it really simple uplifting i didn't want to i didn't want to write a dark song because there's enough darkness going on so uh that was it man i just like put my head into it bogged down and then uh i'm really happy the way it came out and i i think the message has been uh you know 
pretty well received let's put it that way first yeah definitely and uh, obviously the the song is out and uh, you did one of those uh, lyric videos and uh, i guess people can find all that stuff at joey sykes s-y-k-e-s.com right that's probably the best place to go to find everything um you know what's funny i didn't update my website (laughs) (laughs) so So not the place to go (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm so, I'm, believe it or not, other than losing a bunch of gigs, you know, yeah. um, I've been so busy and so yeah. staying so creative and just trying to do all, you know, promotion on the song. I, I know I should update it, but I don't, I don't do the update and I got a website guy. So, um, but it is on, it is up on YouTube, the lyric video and the, the it's like an illustration, like you said, and it's yeah. always done by Scott Sachs. He did the video for me. Yeah. So what's the website guy doing that he's so busy right now? I feel like he's not going outside, you know, would he go on vacation somewhere? <laughs> uh, no, but no, it's great. So yeah, you can find it just, uh, just type in Joey Sykes on, uh, on YouTube and you can find it. Uh, I'll, I'll post a link to it uh, when yeah. we uh, post the interview. Uh, so obviously, you know, you said you've been, the idea had been kicking around for a while, but let's kind of talk about how it does apply to today and sort of like, you know, we have these people who we think of, we always think of certain people as being on the front lines and we always owe a lot to that'd be like your firefighters, your police, your medical professionals. But now sort of like the front lines is almost everywhere outside of our door. You know, somebody delivers food to you. Somebody works at the, especially people who work at the supermarket, you know, I mean, there's so many people going in and out of there and it's just, it's crazy to think about what the front lines are right now at this moment in 2020 versus honestly, even three months ago, you know? That's right. And and the cool thing is, is since I've been promoting the song, getting it out there, you know, people have been seeing it on, uh, you know, my Facebook fan page or or whatever, YouTube. And some people have gotten back to me. Someone even sent me a TikTok uh, video of somebody from an airline. Believe it or not, this is a true story. It's happening right now. Somebody from an airline put the song on and started dancing, you know, like kind of like, you know, and it's an airline guy, you know? And um, so I got the name of who was contacted him, found him like on Facebook. And we got, we got a little thing going now where he's going to shoot some proper video. And I'm, I'm going to make a actually an alternate video of not only airline workers, but definitely nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists, and just try to put together an alternate video of everyone, like you said, on, on, the, you know, whatever front lines is and just put, you know, just, just everyday people really getting through this. And, uh, um, that's, that's coming up probably in a couple of weeks. It should be edited and finished. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. So that'd be a kind of a cool way to see it. And yeah, look, I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't live that far from uh, from an airport and every time a plane flies overhead, I'm always like, where are people going? You know, where are they going? But obviously people have to fly for a whole bunch of reasons, just right. not as many reasons as, uh, as, like I said, a couple months ago. So uh, that that's another thing to think about too. Absolutely. You know, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, having to be on, on the plane and, you know, I mean, I, I assume that people who travel on the plane are uh, not going to be <laughs> any nicer than they used to be. So, uh, you know, it's the, the extra handful uh, that you would always get. And of course, you know, now it's like, oh, that person decided not to wear a mask on this plane, you know, so you got all that. So uh, I think it's great to have, like you said, it's an uplifting song. You know, I was uh, talking to somebody recently. It's just like, there's, there's always a time for those uh, dark and depressing songs. There's time for, you know, post-apocalyptic movies with zombies and stuff. I just, I don't want any of that right now, (laughs) you know. Didn't want to do that. So even like this past Saturday, um, there was a there was a really cool telethon that that went on in LA and um, 
uh, was people like Rick Springfield, Paul Rogers, Carol King, all these uh, Mickey Dolans, you know, it was like a 12 hour, um, you know, online telethon to raise money. They raised, it was a really nice event. And um, I was on it and, um, you know, everyone kind of did like a minute speaking clip or whatever. And then like a lot of people uh, played a, a song that they wrote or, or a remake of a song. And my song, you know, was my, they played my video. I did a little video of me speaking and then um, they played the video. And I think it was a really nice, and I've gotten some really nice response from that too. Um, it was a nice departure because, you know, a lot of people were doing more deep songs and, you know, I, I don't know. And, and a lot of them were great. They were all great. But it's like, I just, I specifically wanted this to be, you know, kind of uplifting for a minute with all the stuff going on where you hear it and you go, it's even got like a reggaeton beat, like a reggae kind of feel where, uh, you know, reggae always makes you happy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. There's, a, there's not, there's not the, uh, you know, the, the, the Bob Marley album. That's the, the bummer concept record. You know, I mean, it's always like, yeah, let's have fun. You know, don't worry. Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, uh, just to sort of, uh, you know, reading up on, on uh, your past work a little bit, obviously great place to start is you're from New York originally. Now, whereabouts yes. in New York did you grow up and when did you come to uh, LA? I grew up in uh, Long Island, New York. And um, uh, basically, I, I had been in L.A. from like being 19 years old. I sure. started coming to L.A. through bands, you know, but I've, I've been living here for about the last 15 years. Um, you know, different things had taken me to L.A. Uh, uh, in the late 90s, I was here playing with Meredith Brooks. And when yeah, she she's uh, for, for people who remember the name, but uh, it might take a second. She had that song, Bitch, which yeah. honestly still shows yeah. up in movies to this day. You know what I mean? Great it's, song. There's still always that that one movie where it's like, well, this will be funny if we use that song. So uh, yeah, that's uh, I when I saw that in there, I'm like, oh, I, I don't even know how many times I've heard that song. You've probably heard it a few more times than me, though. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, we would go to Europe and and you know be in places that don't speak great English, you know, but they go as soon as they hear that song, whether they, well, I don't know what they're singing, but you know, it just yeah. uh, it's one of those <laughs> one of those kind of songs, you know. So yeah. that was like in the late '90s. And then I was also playing with um, a friend of mine, Tommy Henriksen, who plays in guitar for Alice Cooper and Hollywood Vampires. Yeah. So he's a good friend of mine. So I played with him too. So like I, I kind of took a little departure from New York in the late 90s to do those things and then went back to New York and then came back here for good, like 2005, like that kind of vibe. Yeah, and Tommy Henderson, he's great. I think he's from Long Island too, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We go, so we go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and uh, what I love about him is, you know, you mentioned not only does he play with Alice Cooper, but he's in the Hollywood Vampires. And when you look, you see like the stage. It's it's Alice, it's Joe Perry, and it, it's uh, Johnny Depp. And there's Tommy, and you're like, that guy definitely belongs with them. You know what I mean? It's uh, oh, totally. it, it's not like he's out of place. On the, and I actually went to the first Hollywood Vampire show, uh, and so at that point, it was also it was before Guns N' Roses got back together. So it was uh, Duff McKagan was in the band at that point too. Yeah. You know, so it was like it was sort of the, like literally the the all star band. And uh, yeah, Except so he's great. So. Night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when uh, and when was it that you worked with Tommy? That was like in the late '90s too. That was uh, before, I guess, before he worked with Alice. Uh, a record deal on Capitol. He had a record okay. out on Capitol Records. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things where um, there was a song called I See the Sun that was in a movie, um, Blast from the Past, actually. And um, and so 
I think capital, you know, I, I don't really know. I was in, in with them from the beginning of that. And I really don't think they had a plan beyond that song. They, like, I think they just really thought that that song, because it's an amazing song, amazing album. And uh, I, I think they just assumed it was just going to kind of go in a really great way, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and, sure. You know, it was a struggle a little bit, but I, I still think that could have been really a great, um, great yeah. song, great album for him, but. Now, uh, earlier in your career, I think you did some, uh, you were sort of like one of those staff songwriters, right? And, and, and you hear about people who do that. Uh, did, uh, did you just uh, write a lot of songs that, you know, they sort of, they're still sitting in an archive or did, uh, did you write stuff that ended up, uh, you know, being kind of a big song by somebody we might know? You know, that's one thing in my long career that I've done with so many different things that's been able to uh, elude me is the having that one, you know, hit sure, song that yeah. I can tell you, oh, I wrote that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had a lot of songs in TV shows and, and films and some, some big shows, um, Daddy Day Camp with Cuba Gooding Jr. Sure. I had a song in that movie that was a really nice spot. It was like a, they played two minutes of one of my songs with no dialogue. It was like, just kept, I was in the theater and, and I'd eat, and when you when you have a song in a film or a TV, you don't really know how much they're gonna play. They don't really tell yeah. you. You just gotta. Am I even gonna hear it? Am I gonna have to go like, oh, I think that was it. Like, there's those moments, you know. So I'm sitting in the theater and the song comes on, and it was like this this scene where Cuba Gooding Jr. is doing like fast motion, building go karts, and they just played my song up all the way up to the guitar solo. So yeah. like two minutes of my song, I'm like, it just kept going on. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's like they took a break from the movie to stick a music video right in the middle, you know, which exactly. uh, that's great. Yeah, a lot of, just look, just as a music fan, sometimes you'll buy these, there'll be these great uh, movie soundtracks and you're like, oh, this band I like's in it. And you'll see the movie and it's like, was that, was that song even in it? And then you see the movie again, it's like, oh yeah, a car drove by and you hear the song very faintly, you know, like it plays for like eight seconds, you know? So sometimes you have to really look for the song, but that's a, I mean, that's getting two full minutes. You know, that doesn't usually happen. That, was, that doesn't happen yeah. often, no. Yeah, so uh, lately I know that uh, you've been working with the, the, the well-known, the legendary band, The Babies. How did that happen that you started working with them? And uh, is that something that's still going on? Or uh, what, how, where are you at on that right now? The Babies, um, two original guys in The Babies, Tony Brock, the drummer, and Wally Stocker, the guitar player. They're on every single Babies track ever. It's, right. it's Tony on drums and Wally on guitar. So the DNA of The Babies is in those two guys, you know. Um, so somewhere I, I forget 2014, maybe, um, they, those two guys got the, got the band, you know, kind of back together and they, they wanted to do a studio album. So somebody brought me in more as a songwriter just to, to write like, you know, that one kind of singly kind of song. Sure. And, uh, and so one thing led to another and they, they just said, why don't you just, you know, join the version of the band and play with us live and, you know. It's such a it's such a great catalog of songs. Um, so there's a new version of the babies with a new singer, another another John, John Basaha. And um, you know, we we do some touring and stuff. We we got a bunch of gigs pulled out recently. We were supposed yeah. to be on a cruise, one of those cruises and uh, you know, some road stuff and some lo local stuff I think got pulled. But um, recently, uh, we put out a greatest hits uh, anthology too, which has um you know, the, the, all the anthology songs and a couple of new ones. And then there's a, the studio record remixed. Oh, it's like a double, double yeah. album, double CD, whatever. So that, that's out there now. 
Yeah, well, look, you referenced uh, performing live and, uh, and you know, there, there's those big theme cruises. You know, you have the really big ones. You have like your Monsters Rock. I know Kiss does a cruise every year. You know, you hear about all those. And it's, it's hard to, it's sort of like the, the themed cruises. That's two industries that you're wondering about when they're going to recover. And right. performing live is a, is a whole other issue. I mean, what you hear a lot is, sure, your smaller venues are probably going to open first and you're going to have to have people stay kind of far apart. But as, as you sit here right now, I mean, what is today? Uh, April 25th, 26th, I forget exactly, but you know, right here at the end of April, uh, just sort of getting assessment. I mean, what, what are you hearing? I mean, are you hearing anything encouraging or is it just the way it seems to me as somebody on the outside, it seems like nobody really knows. You have people that, that hope you see that, you know, bands have uh, rescheduled dates for the fall, but you don't even really know for sure that that can happen, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, your instincts and what you're hearing is the same thing I am, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm in my mind, like, thank God I have my, my recording studio is on my, my property. So I basically, you know, other than my losing live gigs and, and work, which is really important, but sure. other than that, I've been so productive and creative and I got so much stuff going on. It's ridiculous. You know, I mean, I even started to learn how to uh, make my own videos like I st I'm starting on iMovie because I, every time I want to make a music video or a lyric video, I got to like recruit somebody and pay somebody. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. no, no more. <laughs> Especially yeah, well, now I got this time. As we've no. already established, don't ask your website guy to help you because clearly he's <laughs> not somebody that you can count on. Uh, that's all me, man. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, I think that's great. And look, you're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of creative people, whether it's musicians or, you know, you see, talk show hosts are doing the show from their house. I mean, me, I, you know, this, the stuff that I do, uh, I'm lucky right now, you know, my, my wife and kids are outside. <laughs> Usually I, I have this little back room in the back of my garage that I can hide in, you know, and, and do interviews, but it's kind of great that the technology is what it is and yeah. whatever it is that you do, most of us are still able to kind of do it. And honestly, I mean, I'm getting way more opportunities. You know, you and I are chatting right now, which is great. And, yeah. you know, just because everybody's home, you're having to find these other ways. So look, I can't wait till I can just go outside and, you know, have even a semi-normal day. But while we're, you know, mostly spending time inside, it is kind of this, this great way that you find yourself oddly meeting new people and getting closer with, with, your neighbors, your strangers, you know, everything just because what else are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you're in your house, you know? And it's weird because especially living in California, you know, you want to go out, you want, yeah. I mean, this weekend was killer, you know, but it's like, you know, we didn't do anything. We just kind of hung and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, my wife's working at home and I'm, I'm working at home and we, you know, just make dinner or whatever, but it's like, you want to do those things. And, you know, I'm sure some kind of normalcy is going to going to going to kick in maybe might take longer than we all thought it would be and yeah. i think the summer is going to get salvaged a little bit not not i don't think it's going to be total and as far as live shows with bands like you know stuff with the babies i mean you know i in my mind i'm pretending it's not there so when yeah. the, the call comes in or the dates get booked i'll be you know, maybe happy, or I'm sure I will be, but you know, on, on one hand, I don't know if I want to get on a plane right now. Like, yeah, but if I had to, I, I definitely don't want to go on a cruise. I mean, I yeah. hate to say that, you know, whatever for cruise ships, I feel bad, but I mean, there's a, there's a long list of who I, who everyone feels bad for and cruise ships are probably 
down there. You know? Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, I mean, the companies who uh, who run cruise ships, and look, there were concerns, you know, going back years before this, where people, exactly. you know, the one person gets sick on a cruise, you have to worry about it. So yeah, I, I, I know there's the, like I mentioned, there's those huge theme music cruises, which, you know, always sound like they're fun, and I'm sure they are, but it's like, if people can't be relatively sure that they're healthy, but then you take it out of the cruising industry, it's like, if you can't even go to, like, like a mid-sized venue, like here in LA, like if you, if you can't feel comfortable that you can go to like the wheel turn or even like, well, I was going to say the whiskey a go-go, but that place is too small. So I feel like everybody would be herded in there. You know, you'd, you'd have to have like an occupancy of like 30 at, at like the whiskey, but you know, being able to go to any venue, I mean, us as fans, you as performers, it's like, well, okay, how clean is their backstage area? How clean is this or that? How clean is the stage? And then the car service that picks you up or the hotel that just, you know, all that stuff. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, it's, you know, when you start talking about it, you just pull on one little thread and it all unravels and you're like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't see how any of it happens. And, you know, I mean, there's huge gigantic tours that are scheduled uh, for this year that still aren't canceled. And when you, when you look at it, you're like, I, I, I guess, you know, promoters and Ticketmaster and stuff just want to hang on to the money as long as they can. But you just can't imagine that, you know, come in like September that people are going to be in a football stadium and seeing bands perform, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you could sanitize surfaces and and, yeah. and, and and that'll be great. But what, what is missing is who has it? How, how you know, how am I going to get it from somebody maybe who has it and doesn't know? Is it going to, is it going to pop up in a month from now? Can it stay inside? You know, all these these questions that no one has answers to because yeah. even the professionals, you know, I, I, you know, everyone's complaining about someone else, what they're saying and what professional and blah, 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 and president, blah, 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 but no one knows. So, yeah. so to just say like, this is the way it's going to be. That's why everyone's being really cautious because no one knows if you can keep wiping surfaces. I don't feel, yeah. I don't feel threatened in a supermarket. You know, I have double mask on gloves. Sure. I don't like, I'm not in front of anybody. So I'm just getting my stuff, put it in the wagon you know, I don't, I don't feel like, man, what did I just go through? Yeah. But is that, yeah, life? no, exactly. And, and I mean, that's the thing too. I mean, you're talking about like people not knowing it's, you know, early on people were comparing this to like the flu. Here's the difference. Like if I met you, uh, you know, uh, we were doing this in a studio right now and I had the flu, I'd know I had the flu and I'm like, Oh yeah, no, no. I, I, you know, let's, exactly. you know, I'm not going to shake your hand and, you know, and, and all that, but now it's like, Oh yeah, I don't know. I, I feel fine today. Who knows? So uh, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, shift over to something more fun. I wanted to find out more about uh, Honey River. So that's a band that's an homage to 70s California, like country rock. And I'm kind of wondering, what are some bands from that genre that inspired you and, and you know, talk about how that band is a celebration of that kind of scene? Well, I started going, you know, songwriting for me, first and foremost, is, is really what I spend probably like my whole life on just trying to write great songs, you know, really spend a lot of time on lyrics and stuff. So in the last 10, 12 years, I started to go to uh, Nashville a lot. You know, I got a bunch of friends down there that are pretty successful and great songwriters. And um, so just based on going there for so long, I started piling up these these songs that were really good that weren't on anybody's record. And, and uh, sometimes a, a Nashville demo singer would sing on one. So then, you know, a couple of years ago, I said, you know what? I know so many great people in LA and, and, and uh, I'm just, I have my studio, you know, and drummers like Steve Ferroni and, you know, that I work with. Um, I said, I'm just going to put a band together. Like a, like a, 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 my vision was to have three guys that all sang and um, play instruments 
you know, kind of like an Eagles, like like Jackson Brown, Eagles, Tom Petty, sure, yeah. like that kind of sound in a modern way. And, um, you know, where everyone could share lead vocals like this, like the Eagles do, you know, one second Fry was singing, then Henley, then Timothy, then Walsh. You know, I love that. I think that's genius to where like, you know, as a, as a, you know, watching you live where you could switch gears and be, it'd be a whole new thing in five minutes, you know, like this is a Walsh song and that's amazing. Then Henley will get back on, you know, so I always love that blueprint, you know, so, so then I just put it, started putting a thing together. It's not quite where I want it to be. And I didn't even release the record, but I, I, I finished a bunch of songs and uh, um, still need some tweaking on, on the project. And now that I can't play live, you know, it's just kind of on hold right now, but. Yeah, but no, it definitely seems like it, it's, uh, I, I like sort of the, the thing that you latched onto. Yeah, bands where, you know, everybody sings, you know, it's funny. I mean, obviously, it, it's, it's hard to compare anything to the Beatles. But the funny thing about the Beatles is like, George Harrison's this great, amazing singer-songwriter. And you don't even know it for like five, six years. You know what I mean? And it's just like, yeah. oh, yeah, we've got this, we got this guy too. And look, Ringo has some fun songs too. I don't want to sell him out. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, some, you know, and, and that's the thing about some of these bands. It's like, you know, sometimes a front man is so big that you don't even think about like, yeah, but look how everybody else is. And yeah, the Beatles, the, uh, sorry, the Eagles, that's a perfect example of, you know, like everybody has, uh, has their, their songs in there. Um, when I was reading through the list of uh, some of the uh, artists you've uh, shared a stage with, uh, actually you mentioned uh, Don Henley in there. There's a couple of names that, uh, that jump out at me. Uh, just uh, growing up a huge Kiss fan, I want to immediately ask you about uh, when did you work with Paul Stanley and what was that situation? So Paul Stanley was, um, it, he was, uh, I was in a band when I was like 17, 18, right out of high school. And we were down in the Caribbean, uh, St. Thomas. And uh, he was down there. He was playing or something. I think there, there was a stadium in, or it was a Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. Yeah. And, uh, and, he, and somebody knew him and brought him to the club that we were playing at. <laughs> so... So, um, you know, we started talking about, you know, New York and Queens and everything. And he, and he came up, jumped up on stage with us and did Strutter. And I think it was Strutter. Yeah. That's cool. And it yeah. was great because he was singing like he was on, he was at Madison Square Garden. He was like, <laughs> Strutter! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I was this little kid going, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. It's funny because when you when you hear recordings of, uh, of of Paul singing, you know, throughout the '80s and into the '90s, just these like it was almost like he was showing off like all these crazy notes he has and his vocal uh, and, lessons were kicking in. Yeah, exactly. And and and, and you know, you, you hear about people like you know Steve Perry and Paul's a good example. People who get older and they're like, "Oh yeah, I don't sing like that anymore." You know, it's like mm -hmm. you know, it's it's funny when you're just like, "Yeah, I can't I can't imagine that one day you're like." Uh, yeah, I can't, I, I can't even get close to that anymore, but uh, it, it's so crazy to hear. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole list of everybody, yeah. but uh, it, it's just, it's such a why, he's the one that jumped out at me, just uh, that's why I asked. But is there, has there been anybody that you've ended up, maybe even a situation like that? And again, you said you were a kid when that happened, so that was probably pretty crazy. Oh, have there been moments where obviously you're professional, you're going to play, that's not the issue, but where you have to like actually take a step back and like think like, I can't believe I'm playing with so-and-so right now, you know? Well, the two moments in my career, I mean, there's been so many really cool moments. Um, I would say the two moments that really stick out was when I was with Meredith Brooks, we, we opened up for the Eurythmics at the Garden, Madison Square Garden and the Staples wow, Center. Sure. So, we okay. with them. 
so you know being on the garden stage from new york is just doesn't really go anywhere from there for me you know yeah. like what, what, what am i gonna do now you know like, <laughs> so um you know my see my mother like front row center my brother and like playing a solo on that stage and it's that's that's surreal that that doesn't even make sense sometimes you know yeah and then, especially um, when you think of the you know when you you walk into the garden uh you, you there used to always be pictures of like you know ace freely jimmy page you know, yeah people, playing on the same stage yeah, you played right. on you know yeah. so it's like you could you, you probably walked right under that and then you're like yeah and i'm doing the same thing i could see that being pretty crazy sure yeah. oh it's in the hallways backstage i studied those i'm like <laughs> you see like that classic yeah. robin plant with the microphone yeah that's the one i'm thinking of yeah <laughs> uh, same so yeah. even, even like even the sound check it makes gives you you know like we were on messing with amps and it's all union so that like you know if they want to stop at five o'clock after sound check you know you got to just you can't move anything it's pretty right. funny but just just messing with your amp on the on the garden stage is just like so heavy <laughs> yeah well i almost feel like sound check might be crazier because the lights are on and you can actually see how big it is and you're like yeah all these people are going to be here later on uh watching me so yeah i could imagine well for us we were doing the sound check and um Annie Lennox is walking around with like a scarf. And so the garden is empty and she, you see her walking around and she <laughs> takes a seat like 40th row. Just, it's just crazy, man. Yeah. And the other one really quickly is um, I auditioned for Don Henley. So oh, cool. in, in like 99, 2000, um, he was, he was looking for a second guitar player and there was only like four or five people who auditioned, I think. And um, I didn't get it, but I got to play like, like eight songs with him and his band and that was great like harmonizing with him and everything and uh so that was another moment where i was like this is just nutty you know yeah no just to just to be in that moment uh yeah i mean look me i'm a i'm completely a non-musician but uh, when i was in college i interned at conan o'brien's tv show and they were doing camera blocking uh for elton john was going to be on and he obviously doesn't do camera blocking but they needed somebody to sit at the piano. So they had me sit at his piano. So they would be doing all the camera movements and cutting. And you could see on the monitors, there's just me sitting at Elton John's piano while these guys are playing Saturday nights. All right for fighting. And I always wow. think like how fun would it have been if I sang along, but I was worried, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's it just sometimes, yeah. When, you know, again, not even remotely, you know, look, here's the thing. If I had sang along, they would have kicked me out probably because, of <laughs> but yeah. So even sometimes when you're not a musician and you end up in something like that, you're like, this, this is crazy crazy you know <laughs> so that's great uh joey uh it's been uh delightful to get a chance to talk to you and uh, i'm glad uh we had the chance to meet uh, unfortunately we got to meet because we can't go outside but uh i really want people to uh look for let's get through this you mentioned you could just type in joey sykes on youtube uh and your website is joeysykes.com uh for when people do want to find you uh and uh you know and uh, they uh, look they'll find out where when you're going back out there whenever that might be what's going on with the babies and honey river so that sounds, sounds like the great thing is that you're talking about you're so busy right now that uh because you have all these projects in there it's great to have something to keep you busy you know and, and for people that are just listening joey's sitting in a recording studio right now so there's there's no shortage of things you could do as soon as we click off from this interview you know yeah, and you know the 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 quick things like to get the highlights. I mean, if you subscribe to my my YouTube channel, that's going to probably be getting a lot of action since I just learned how to make my own videos. So, you know, you just go on. I guess Joey Sykes music videos and 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 subscribe to that. Yeah. And then my Instagram is Joey Sykes nine zero three nine zero three. Is that so. because there were nine hundred and two other Joey Sykes before you, or? <laughs> and my birthday. 
Oh, there you go. Uh, well, again, Joey, uh, it was great to talk to you. Uh, JoeySykes.com, S-Y-K-E-S. Thanks so much. Thanks, Christian. Have a great time. Thanks again to both Mitch Perry and Joey Sykes. Check out both of those songs. We'll be back next week, probably with only one episode. But first, here is that song from Joey Sykes. It's called Live Through This. And we will see you next time on The Blackcast. Let's get through this. We're gonna be okay. Let's get through this. We're gonna find a way. Let's get through this. It might take a little time. We'll be better on the other side. Let's get through this. It's gonna be okay. Let's get through this. We're gonna find a way. Let's get through this. It might take a little time. It's better when I see you. There's nothing going on around here People who told to just disappear But these clouds are just temporary And the love keeps touching me